Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. So, uh, sex in church. This should be fun. It's important for churches to talk about topics like this, of course, and uh, we're going to. It's a legit warning. If you're here with kids, um, that's your decision. Um, But uh, yeah, PG-13 and uh, then some. I I think it's important, though, for churches to talk about it. We do at a whole variety of different levels. You know, we actually, interesting story, uh, we uh, had a, a membership class recently, and we had three couples who wanted to uh, apply for membership at Beacon. They wanted to, to become part of the Beacon family. And um, so we, I, we met uh, for their membership interview, and I told them that, you know, part of the deal is you have to abstain from sex for two weeks uh, in order to become a part of Beacon. And so uh, they found it unusual, but uh, they, were, they were game for, you know, the challenge to see if they could, they could actually do it. And uh, there were three couples. It was an, like an, uh, an older couple, seniors, and the middle-aged couple. And there were uh, it was a newlywed couple. And uh, so the older the it was two weeks later. You know, we, we called them all back together and said, "Hey, let's you know get together and see how you did." And so the the older couple, I said, "You know, how did it go? You know, two-week challenge. How'd the test go?" And they said, "Actually, it was a piece of cake. Uh, it was no no problem at all." And, uh, you know, it was no sweat. And I said, well, congratulations. Welcome. Welcome to Beacon. And then I talked to the middle-aged couple and I said, so how did it go for you? And they said, well, you know, the first week actually wasn't a, wasn't a real problem. The second week became a real challenge for us. But you know what? We, we, we had some guidelines. We made some, we just, we took care of it and, and we made it. We made it the whole two weeks. I said, hey, great. Congratulations. Welcome. Welcome to Beacon. I turned to the newlywed couple and I said, so how'd it go? And they, well, you know, we, we almost made it. I'm like, oh, man, that's too bad. What happened? And they said, well, you know, we had all sorts. We had really good intentions, and we were going to work really, really hard on it. And we did. And, you know, we, we made sure, like, you know, we had rules. I slept in the living room for the two weeks. And, you know, like, we couldn't touch each other at all. And, and like, every day was, was a challenge. But we actually made it the full two weeks until this morning. And I'm like, oh, what a bummer. What happened? They're like, well, so imagine this. We're sitting there at breakfast, and, and we both reach for the syrup at the same time, and our hands touch. And then our eyes lock. And then the passion, we were just overcome with passion. And so I just, I cleared the table, and right there, we failed the test. And I said, wow, I saw it's a passionate story, but unfortunately, that, that means you're not you're not welcome at Beacon. And they said, yeah, you know, we're not welcome at the diner either. (laughs) True story. (laughs) 
Why? <laughs> Why is the God of the Bible so anti-sex? This is what we hear. People think that the God of the Bible is this repressive cosmic killjoy. He's got these serious hang-ups about sex. But, but is that really true? What if, what if God isn't the one with the hang-ups? What if we're the ones with the hang-ups? Are we really sure that our enlightened views of sex are better than God's views? I'll give an example. You know, there are dozens of types of sexually transmitted diseases, STDs. Many of them are currently at near epidemic levels. New infections, 20 million a year. Total in the U.S., 110. Direct medical costs, 16 billion dollars. They estimate it takes 30 billion dollars to feed the world's poor. Two years. That's what we, we rack up in costs. Most of these infections are happening in the young people, which by the way, it says 50% there, but that doesn't take into consideration the fact that you live in New York, which has some of the nation's highest rates. More likely than not to get an STD. Some of these are incurable, some cause infertility, cancer, even death. How about our freewheeling attitude toward porn? Approaching a worldwide financial cost of $1 trillion. 35% of all download traffic on the internet is porn. How about this? More hours that you spend on porn, the less gray matter scientists tell us you have in the brain. How's that for a direct cost? Even those who say they don't watch porn made Game of Thrones one of the most watched TV shows of all time. We know it's objectifying. Porn is degrading, increasingly violent. And research has proven the negative effects of porn on society many, many times over. One of the former U.S. Surgeon Generals, he said, I believe we have enough evidence to implicate pornography as a kind of accessory to antisocial actions that produce grave and profoundly harmful outcomes. That's what our freedom is getting us. How about our hookup culture and general promiscuity? Researchers tell us that shame and guilt and broken self-esteem, all types of sexual addictions, not to mention the heartache of some three-quarters of a million abortions every year. The cost of our freedom. Let's talk about the spiritual life. The spiritual drift that happens, leaving us stranded and alone when people experience the consequences of their sexual rebellion against God's plan. There, there's a type of spiritual loneliness even in indifference, and of course the shame that sexual sin leads to having a, a massive negative impact on our spiritual vitality. Here's the thing. We could go on like this for hours. My point is simply this. Are we really sure that our so-called sexual freedom, us jettisoning God's perspective on sex has made us a healthier, happier, and more prosperous nation. 
We fell off the rails when it comes to sex. And this happened in part because we bought into a few big lies that our enemy has foisted upon us. I came across this outline in Mark Clark's book. We still have some out in the Welcome Center for you. We're comping it. We have, we're paying for more than half of it if you want a copy of this book. And he had this, this, this outline that sex is appetite, sex is God, sex is bad. That's what I want to steal from him this morning and use. But I, I just, before we, we jump into the, to the, to the bulk here, I, I just, I, this morning I need, uh, is a little disclaimer, all right? I need to broad brush quite a bit this morning in order to cover the material that I hope to cover. So I, I, can't, I can't qualify everything that I'm going to say. Some things are going to sound harsh and judgmental, and I'm, uh, I'm not going to be able to nuance everything that I ought to in the next 30 minutes. So I'm just asking in advance from you for a little bit of charitable listening here and if anything happens here and I've said things that you get upset by or you're offended by, I would love to talk to you more about it afterwards. So you could, you could text, call, stop me out, you know, out in the cafe. I'd love to talk to you more about these in detail. But for the purposes of this morning, I am going to have to broad brush quite a bit. So let's jump in with sex is appetite. It's just a natural appetite. Why are there so many moral restrictions on it? And I would agree that it is a natural appetite. But why do we think that following our natural appetites is always good, right? We start with natural, comes from nature, of course. Take these goldfish. So the goldfish mating rituals, anybody an expert in goldfish mating rituals? All right, well, I'll tell you a little bit about them. Goldfish mating rituals include the male chasing the female around the tank until she is thoroughly exhausted. He bites her tail. It is such a violent experience that, that new fish owners often think they're fighting and will separate them because of the violence of the mating ritual. She becomes so exhausted, she finally will drop her eggs. And then, of course, the mating can really begin. This is not a woke creature in any way. He has not heard of me too. No is no. There's nothing like that in the animal kingdom. I'm telling you. This, these are natural. And in nature, you will find sexual abuse and rape, murder and assault in order to steal another's mate. You will find creatures that will use deceit in order to impregnate someone, something. And there are some creatures that will simply eat their mate after copulation. That's natural. This week, just this week, I came across an article, and it was explaining that male animals regularly mount male animals with surprising frequency in nature. Okay? The argument went then, well, that means, of course, then, it's natural and good for humans as well. Wait, wait, that's a huge jump you've just made. How is that a valid argument? Yes, that is true. That behavior does show up in the animal kingdom, as does incest and pedophilia 
and cross-species mating and cannibalism. Do you know these goldfish, will, they will lay their eggs, they will fertilize their eggs, and then they will promptly eat their eggs. You have to separate them out from their eggs so they don't eat all their young. Natural. How about our appetites? We get hungry, we eat. We get thirsty, we drink. We get horny, we sex. Yet how many of our appetites, when left to themselves, actually serve us well? You know, if goldfish are hungry, they will actually eat. I, I, could, I could feed the goldfish, right? And they will tell you that if you feed them just a little bit, you know, that's good for them. And if you feed them too much, it's not good for them. The tank gets polluted. Fish can become obese. They have all sorts of swim bladder health problems. Some people will even tell you they believe that goldfish will eat themselves to death. If you just dump it all in there, they can eat themselves to death. That's what our appetites can do. That's not what we want. We want eating in a healthy way. And we want resting in a healthy way. And we want drinking in a healthy way. And we want sexing in a healthy way. So our natural appetites then, they, they need to be restricted or in fact they will become unnatural appetites. So of course how do we now decide how to restrict them? And therein lies the issue that we're really talking about. Society says, we'll let you know what to restrict and what not to restrict, pretty much don't worry at all. How's that working out? So for Christians, we turn around and we say, we want the scriptures to tell us. We want to understand what the Bible tells us because we really do believe that this is the word of God. And as our creator, he knows what is best for us. Romans chapter 1 gives us just one of many, many, many texts that we could turn to where we get to figure out a little bit more about what sex is all about from God's vantage point. And this happens to touch a little bit on our particular thing we're, we're mentioning right now. Verse 24, he says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So God explains elsewhere and even throughout this text, that sex is meant for one man and one woman to be enjoyed in the context and within the protections of the covenant of marriage. That's the biblical ideal. And anything other than that is considered sexual impurity. That's what he's talking about right here in the text. The sexual the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. And then he adds for the degrading of their bodies. So he's saying that this is a dehumanizing impurity. It makes us less than the human ideal that God had for us when we pursue this kind of impurity. And it's every type of sexual sin, by the way. So sex outside of marriage, lust, masochism, orgies, wife swapping, you know, heavy petting, just on and on. The, 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 the point here is that sexual sin degrades us. Look at verse 25. 
they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So instead of worshiping the gift giver, we have worshiped the gift. And we have decided to do whatever we wanted with it. And so we exchanged, it says, the truth of God for a lie. And that ends up causing us to worship things we ought not to worship. So this exchange takes place. We reject what God says and we decide to believe what the cultural lie is. And then in verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. See the exchange, right? This Then what is ought to be natural becomes unnatural. And it leads to all sorts of sin and rebellion and heartache as you kind of continue through the text here. So sex is a natural appetite, but only when it is within God's limits. When we make this exchange, what God says is good with what we think is good, bad things result. That text also touched upon this idea that the sex is God idea. It's my identity. It's my chief pursuit. And of course, nobody would say this. Nobody would think that they worship at the idol of sex or sexuality or romantic relationships. But for so many, their approach to these things is nearing obsessive levels. The songs we listen to on the radio, the movies that we watch, they put romantic love on this like super high crazy pedestal. And for many, it ends up becoming largely their goal in life. And this sex is God idea is hard to identify, but you can, because you don't think of it, we don't think of ourselves as idolatrous in this way, but you can actually really come to recognize it pretty readily in your own heart because anything that becomes our hope for ultimate fulfillment. If it becomes your hope for healing, if I just had that person, just had that relationship, then everything would be right. Delight. If you're putting all your hope for delight, then it's actually displacing God at the center of our lives. That's the essence of idolatry. So the same thing, of course, happens when it comes to sex. You can see it when it happens in other areas, right? We know that work is good, but workaholism is not, right? We, we, all, we all recognize that, right? Having kids is great, but putting kids at the center of your existence, not good. Not good for them, not good for you. It's a form of idolatry. So this also applies to sex when it oversteps its boundaries and becomes an idol to us. Tim Keller, he said it like this, an idolatrous attachment can lead you to break any promise, rationalize any indiscretion, or betray any other allegiance in order to hold on to it. It may drive you to violate all good and proper boundaries. And I got to tell you, I have seen this in my own life, and I have seen this in the lives of many, many people that I've spoken to about it over the years. It grabs us in a certain way, in a particularly vicious way, and does not let go. 
Now, this last kind of idea that, that uh, Mark uh, in his book was outlining is that sex is bad. And I really wanted to camp here for a bit because uh, I, I think this is a, at the heart of why many people will reject Christianity. Bertrand Russell, he was a famous uh, philosopher. He said that the worst feature of the Christian religion is its attitude toward sex. Wow. That is something. Well, sex is bad. This is also held, by the way, from those outside the church and many, 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 many people inside the church. And so this one is, is a particularly difficult conversation for us because of our own natural biases. So here's a little thought exercise. You think God loves sunsets? Right, like how would you come to a decision like that, right? So I look at it and I go, well, look at how, you know, he gave us these visual receptors that could see all of these colors and then he paints the sky with all of this magnificence. And when I sit there and I enjoy it and I think, this is good, like God must love sunsets, right? And so like I, I just kind of rationalize things like this. I think about it the same thing with all of creation. I think about it with, with goldfish, like, you know, I think God loves goldfish. Think about the variety and how cool they are. And, you know, they, they had, they're tied into this neat little ecosystem. And, you know, you can even bring them home and, and make them as pets to bring beauty into your home. Like there's, there's just so many things about it. I think, well, that must mean, you know, God, you know, must love goldfish. So how do you know that God loves sex? Well, I mean, think about it. Like it was God's idea. <laughs> Right? I mean, we should start with that. I mean, he could have done procreation in any way he wanted. But God instead made us excessively well endowed for sex. Procreation via sex, his idea. Didn't have to do it. Absolutely not. Bundling up all of the nerve endings so that they're particularly focused in our sexual organs, his idea. That's it. Why would he do this? Unless, of course, it's because God loves sex. So I would just want to state that as clearly as I can. In fact, we're all going to state it. Why don't you just repeat that with me? God loves sex. You know, you guys have not looked left or right this whole morning. You guys are, I have never seen eyes just locked on me. And some of you are even blushing saying that. So instead, to make it awesome and more awkward, would you turn to your neighbor and tell them, God loves sex. Go ahead. Turn to your... They need to hear this. They need to hear it. You can't even do it. Wow. God loves sex. So why in the world does everybody think that God is so anti-sex? Of course, the church is to blame for a big part of this. Many Christians throughout history have been wrongly and heretically anti-sex. And there are many early theologians that taught that sex was only allowed to produce children, totally false. Others had castrated themselves because of the fear of sex, like this is celibacy. Uh, that was put on a super high pedestal, not working out so well. The Bible has a much more fun view of sex, without a doubt. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 7, this is Paul, the same Paul that we were just reading in Romans. He says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. 
the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So the antidote to sexual sin in this particular context is not less sex, it is more sex. And that's an important thing for us to remember Sexual sin within the marriage can actually be combated by a healthy and, shall we say, energetic sex life. So yes, God loves sex. Starting in Genesis, he created them. Everything was good. The two of them, he created them naked and said, it's very good. And I need you to go get it on and fill the earth now. That's what he tells them. We get to the Song of Solomon. And when you're reading in the Song of Solomon, the woman here is very much the initiator in this love poem. And she uses graphic language. Talks about like ivory tusks and sapphires and stuff like that. It's actually, it it will make you blush. In fact, here's one of the texts. Let's read this together. Ready? How beautiful you are. And no one's reading. (laughs) Let's read it together. This is God's word. Let's read God's word. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine. The fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. He's intoxicated with her love because God loves sex. He is wildly sex affirming. It was made by God and within the confines of a monogamous biblical marriage to be thoroughly enjoyed until we are exhausted with delight. Now imagine here, this is kind of a thing here, like, you know, so you, you, we have the confines of a happy goldfish life, right? And so they have what they need in here. They've got their water and they've got their plant and they've got their, you know, their, their tank and all of that. How do fish do when they are not in the confines of how they were defined? Now imagine this is your sexual life, right? And so here we're talking about what it would be like to live outside of the confines, And so if you were outside of the confines of what God wants for you, what would happen? Like how long would a fish actually be able to live outside of water, right? Like how long? So you have to start to ask yourself, how long can we, you guys are not even paying attention to me because you think I'm a monster, it's plastic. My goodness gracious but do not tell the second service. I'm not going to think I'm up. We should talk about your perceptions in a little bit. No. Yes, it's not moving. It's plastic. The point is, when we step out of God's design, it's right and it is good here. But once we step out, we we start to dry up. We start to starve. We start gasping for air emotionally and, and, and psychosexually. We start gasping 
for air. Because we are not made to live outside the confines of what God has called us to. This is important for us to remember. Because God's way is better sex. Listen, you want to live like a happy goldfish. (laughs) Then live like a happy goldfish within the confines of how God has created you. Come out of it and starve. God's way is better. University of Chicago did this massive sex study some years back. The lowest rates of sexual satisfaction were single men. Not who you would expect. By the way, the more sex partners you had, according to this massive study, the more your physical and emotional satisfaction decreased. Married couples, they reported being the most physically and emotionally satisfied. Guess who's having the most sex? Yep, married couples. You see, this is all counter. The research is counter to what the cultural lies will tell you. The absolutely most sexually satisfied people in the country, you know who they are? Conservative Protestant women. What? That's amazing. The researchers were blown away by this because of the stereotypes that are out there. They actually came to a couple of interesting conclusions. They said, well, maybe those who follow biblical teachings firmly, this is a quote, firmly believe in the holiness of marriage and of sexuality as an expression of their love. Yeah. You got it. We could have told you that. They actually went on to conclude that our results could be read to mean that an orthodox view of romance, courtship, and sexuality is the only route to happiness and sexual satisfaction. University of Chicago, massive sex study. God's way is better. So what do we have to do? Well, we have to honor sex. Single adults... We have to honor sex by obeying God's boundaries. Those of you who were born with same-sex attraction, those who identify as maps or minor attracted persons, those who are bewildered by gender dysphoria, I am sorry that this is the cross you have to bear. And I absolutely wish this weren't the case, but God is pleading with you to trust him. Don't turn your sexuality into a reason to disobey God. Don't let it become an idol to you. I don't want anyone here to think that sex is merely a physical act because it is so much more than that. We can honor it because it has this profoundly emotional component. It's this psycho-spiritual dimension, even sacred elements that transcend the physical act. So don't cheapen it either. For married couples, it's simple. Have more sex. Start this week. Shoot for every day. I don't know. Have, the point is, have more and better sex with each other because God loves it. You should too. And um, you know, some of the distance in your marriage and some of the apathy and the lethargy can actually be helped by having a more active sex life. And it's got all other sorts of physical and emotional benefits. So just consider it a spiritual practice. Add it to your list of like prayer, Bible study, and sex. Um, 
but I, but I did want to just comment here for a moment because if, if you're a victim, and this is real serious, but just hear me out. If, if you're a victim of sexual trauma or abuse or sex is emotionally or physically uh, painful for you, then I'm not asking you to just sort of muscle through it um, because I know that that can cause more harm than good. And so for you, that this isn't your next step. Have more sex is, is destructive in your, your current circumstances because you've had a lot of pain um, in a very bad or difficult past. But your next step might be a commitment to get help, to not live within that reality. Find some healing. Talk to some folks and figure out what your next steps might be. Let us help if you need to have some uh, referral or talk to some folks that uh, will be able to help you through this. But have more sex. How much? Well, just frequent. No one really knows how often. Everyone has their opinions and all that kind of stuff. Usually the answer is a lot more than you're currently having. But, uh, and then finally, I just want to end with this. Seek forgiveness. Because every single one of us comes to this topic and the experience of sex as broken individuals. Some of us more than others. All of us have grown up in a sex-saturated world, in, and it's deviant in, in more ways than we can count, and some of us have been negatively impacted by what others say and do and what we've experienced. And um, you know, lots have taken a deep dive into some very dark things, and others have been on the abuser side of this whole conversation and live now with a great deal of regret. And so I just offer for you the promise of the scriptures back in Romans he says blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them so we all need to come to Christ to be washed clean to be forgiven and to be called his spotless bride would you pray with me father what we're asking here for you to do is help us, Lord, to give us the courage and the strength we need to stand firm in the face of significant cultural lies that are so easy for us to, to buy into, so easy for us to believe. And what I need, Lord, is for you to do the thing that only you can do, bring us hope and healing, give us a healthy view of sex, one in line with you and your word. For those of us, Lord, who are struggling, not married, we've, we've got longings and desires and hurts and betrayals. I'm praying, Lord, for a special measure of your grace to be poured out. May they continue to trust in you for the long haul, knowing that your word is good and that it's trustworthy. And Lord, for those who are really hurting and broken, we pray, Lord, that you would meet them here. Let them hear through our time at the Lord's table and with each other, maybe even with prayer at the end. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would offer them the hope and the healing that they need so that we might know that we can stand before you and that you look upon us with joy and delight. We pray it all in Christ's name.